So while I'm sitting back editing today's episode that you're about to hear, I gotta be completely honest. I got really inspired listening to this conversation. I know that's kind of corny. I know I sound like I'm just really trying to get you to listen to the episode. And I've had a lot of guests come on and give me a solid conversation for an hour or so. But no disrespect to any previous guests. But after playing back this episode, let's just say I've texted friends in my past who I'd go pick up a camera and shoot with. I basically said, hey, man, I got this cool idea, real kind of quick, simple plot. Shit, we could probably even shoot it with iPhones. What do you say? And who knows if any of that's going to ever come to fruition. But just by listening back on this episode while I was cutting it, uh, I got really inspired just from the guest. Josh Stifter, an independent filmmaker who has actually been on a filmmaking contest television show, Rebel Without a Crew, that was on the El Rey Network back in 2016. Uh, God, I don't even know, 2015, 2016. Eh, he'll tell you on the episode, I think. And of course, that was executive produced by Robert Rodriguez, and he's on the show with him as well. It's The show was on the El Rey Network, which was Robert Rodriguez's channel. And still is. And he's gone on to make a lot of cool independent films. And he's got one that just came out a couple weeks ago. It is available on demand in places like Tubi and whatnot. I, I've watched it. And, of course, I have people on this show whose movies I like. And I highly recommend Greywood's Plot. Streaming on Tubi right now, I believe. But anyway, we'll get into plugging it later. But I just want to say for all you independent filmmakers out there who are weekend warriors or just trying to get a film funded or just, I don't know, sitting in your office somewhere trying to get creative. This one's a real treat for you guys and gals. Welcome to the basement. Josh Stifter, welcome to Tyler Geis's basement, my friend. Hey, how's it going, man? This is great. This, this dude, this is this is great. This is great. And I have to once again credit. Um, he might as well be like a publicist for this show, or I don't know what this show is officially. I'll call it sponsored by Jeremiah Kip, a past guest, because I think you put it up on Facebook when you were looking to you know get some press for your upcoming film. Right. Uh, you want to talk on podcasts. You want to do some interviews for some websites. And I feel you. I've been in that boat too. And he tagged me in your post. And I was like, son of a bitch. All right. Jeremiah Kip strikes again. I think I've had like two or three people on this show, probably prior to when this airs that, you know, maybe even more than that, that have been in cahoots with him. And he's, you know, just been a, his episode was great. Aired back in February. Um, yeah. So shout out to him. Uh, I've been Facebook friends with you for a little while. I think just cause I just stumbled upon your work. I don't even remember how. Yeah. There was like a hot second where Facebook was really pushing this like algorithm of like, I like pushing you towards different people. So I had like a whole bunch of film community that was like suggested to me. So I was, I went through a phase where I was just like, Oh, they know this person. I'll see yeah, like yeah. them, you know, like whatever. And then, I noticed like a lot of that just sort of like 
went, went away. Like I didn't see those people stuff come up on my feed or anything. So I like, I friended all these people. I'm like, Oh, cool. The film community is sort of like blossoming on Facebook. And then all, then it was all, you know, people like my mom's friends from church from 30 years ago. That's who I see still. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I, I try to like shift posting about this show on Instagram and like, I'll put it up on Facebook, but like, (laughs) I don't know. Like I'll get likes from like my wife's aunt who I know is not listening to the damn show. Yeah. (laughs) But like, yeah, you're right. Like once I started doing this show, like so many like people started popping up people you may know. And I was like, I don't know this person, but they, they, they're friends with that person. I don't know. Like I I need guests, man. And now I'm doing a weekly thing. So like, Next thing I know, I'm Facebook friends with Casper Van Dean from Starship Troopers. I don't know how that happened either. That's hilarious. Um, uh, it's funny, man. Living during the the height of the social media experiment and being an artist during the time, doing doing podcasts, doing movies, whatever. It's just been such an. It has been purely a weird experiment in art that I don't think. Any no generation has lived through something like this. And I don't know if this will last in the way it has for a whole lot longer. And so, like, not that I think social media is gonna go away, but I think that people like watching my kids growing up and their interest in like the broader social media, it's not he they don't have that. They're interested just like in they're interested in the TikToks or whatever and the sort of like easily consumable throwaway content that would have been like you know the classified ads in the newspapers 40 (laughs) years ago or is the equivalent to like scrubbing through tiktok now um but i don't we we live during a time where people were like trying to connect in this massive way like everyone had to know everything about everyone all the time for a hot second so it's been it's been weird but um i'm glad because it's it's allowed me to get on podcasts and have People join me on my, you know, shows or on, you know, even on my movies that I never would have gotten. I would never have got on Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew if it wasn't for uh, the the Facebooks. Wow. And we will touch on that very shortly because I think that is very impressive. Uh, I have my take on that. I'll just say this right now. I, I can't remember. I don't remember the application process or whatnot. And you can probably walk me through it. But. I feel like I knew about it and I either applied or I was late on a deadline. Um, either way, I did not get on it. And here I am talking to you. <laughs> so, um, it was but, a weird process for sure. Well, let's talk about uh, you have a movie coming out. By the time this airs, it will have already dropped in a lot of VOD platforms. Uh, I just caught the screener a couple of days ago. Uh, very impressive. I must say, I have a lot to say about it. We'll tease it kind of for the tail end of the show, but for right now, let's just, what's the, what's the elevator pitch on uh, Greywood's plot? Oh God, I'm so terrible at elevator pitches, which is probably one of the reasons why I've, Every- made movies. I've been making movies for myself for so long. It's like, I am, I'm a pitch Bible guy. Like I'm oh the God, dude yeah. that, they were like, hey, send in your stuff for your movie for Rebel Without a Crew. Uh, can you send it in today? And I was like, OK, woke up in the morning and I instantly did like a whole pitch, like a four page pitch Bible, took a picture of uh, we have this weird table. I took a picture of it with a bunch of like 
uh, exorcism items and a gun that I found. I made like a poster for the good exorcist before I even had a script for it. Like I had done the whole thing and they were like, dude, we needed like a synopsis. That's it. And that's probably the reason I got on the show is because I went way too far with stuff. And they're like, this guy's overplanned. He'll finish a movie. Uh, But the elevator pitch for Greywood's plot is basically two friends who are sort of wannabe um, speaking of social media, like the YouTube era um, cryptozoologists. I use that term very loosely. They're more like uh, Dom is more like a crypto historian and he they they get this tape sent to them right as they're on the like brink of fit quitting and on their existential crisis and Dom and Miles these two bo- these two cryptozoologists get this tape that has a video a really crappy video of a chupacabra that you could barely see it and it doesn't look all that real but they kind of get high hopes about it so they go off and venture into the woods where they meet this owner of the land who's sort of eccentric and they try to get footage of this chupacabra and of course things go awry comedy ensues weird conversations are had and i think it's a good time indeed it was that is a i said right before i got on mics here with you that is quite an interesting third act you have there and i don't want to spoil too much on the show but we can we can talk about it a little bit it's funny um, how I can sp- I I have been really terrible about not spoiling it. And even when I do spoil it and people like I go into a film festival with people and I'm like, yeah, man, it's our little doggy monster movie. Like <laughs> it's and I'll say something like that and I'll, I'll sort of spoil things. I've even been using the emoji um, like for the movie. When I promote it, I use like the bearded man emoji, the dog emoji and a skull emoji people still like it when they see the twist of the movie when it happens i think it's emotionally powerful enough mm-hmm. that there's no way to spoil it i think it it's like there's it's because it's character driven which i think is one of the things that a lot of indie movies as much as they want to be character driven it's really hard because you're not you don't have a bunch of great actors it's hard to have characters when you don't have really talented performers then i we i didn't i had me my buddy Keith, who has never acted before in anything besides a couple of crappy shorts I threw him in way back in the day. And Daniel, who has acted in The Good Exorcist and a few other things. But, you know, he's we have to carry the movie for the first for it. Keith and I do. And um, I think that's one of the, the issues that a lot of people have is it's hard to have characters. And we really, really, really wanted to have characters. So even if they weren't lovable all the time, we wanted to make sure they were sort of like darkly human <laughs> mm-hmm. oh agreed agreed i think you accomplished that really well um let's take me back a little bit here let me get to know you a little more sure um and just a, just a simple question like what what made you what was the start for you as a filmmaker or i mean i know you're a jack of all trades like the, you're you're credited like seven eight times in the credits on your films or at least the ones you've given me but what made you what made you want to do this Yeah. So I sort of have had this weird and it wasn't intentional, but I've sort of had this weird habit of wanting to get better at something in art every year. And it naturally like every year I'm like, okay, I never really, you know, took great photos. I want to get better at photography. And I remember for a year in after I graduated from high school, um, I went to a community college for a year and because my dad was basically like, you can't not go to college. You got to go somewhere. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll just go to fucking community college. So I went to community college 
And I didn't care about any of the stuff I was doing. I was taking just whatever classes. And, uh, but I took photography and I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on this, even though I know it's not going to go anywhere. I always made like short films as a kid. Like Daniel and I talk about this all the time that Daniel and I met when we were in kindergarten, um, Daniel plays father Gill and Doug Graywoods. Um, and Keith and I have known each other since I was 13 days old. So we, uh, I met Keith in the hospital when he was born, when I was 13 days old, my, <laughs> my parents and his parents went to church together and they were friends. Oh, I got you. So, you know, we, that, that Anne had her baby, let's take our baby over to see that. And so Keith and I have been friends for forever. Um, and so, but it really became like, I got into photography and then I knew I wanted to be in visual arts in some way. I love, I'm a very visual person. I, I think in pictures and I, I, I take that back. I don't think in pictures. I think in words. So I have to bring pictures to life. So yeah. this is a conversation my wife and I have had a lot because she'll say like, Hey, what do you think that rug would look like in the kitchen? And I'm like, I don't, I got to see it. Like, I don't know what it would look like in the kitchen. I can't, I don't have a good imagination in my head in my waking life. However, when I dream, I dream in like real life pictures. Like I see a full movie at night and it's just a weird thing that how my brain works that I've sort of come to terms with. And that's what led me to like going, I need to put visuals out there. I want people to see things um, that I don't see in my head. So I started, I drew all through high school. I drew when I was a kid. I love drawing. And it came to that point where my dad was like, hey, man, you've been taking like you're in like photography six at community college. Like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> and I was like, I got to the point where I loved being in the dark room so much. I had run out of photography classes to take. And so I but I wanted to use the dark room still. So they let me work at the front desk in just and I wasn't paid. I was just be able to use the dark room when I needed to use it. Um and so from there, my, you know, when I realized like, okay, I love photography, I love moving pictures and whatnot, but film school was like out of the question. I'm a Minnesota dude. Like there was no way I was going to get into the scene. And I also um, was sort of in this place. I had a band that I was really serious about. And like, I was still like 20, 21 years old and wanted to party and drink and hang out with my friends and didn't want to take life too seriously yet. And so there was no like going to L.A. to take filmmaking seriously. That just wasn't in my cards. And I was so, just going to ask. Sorry, I was just going to ask no. you where you were from. And because I think I read up on you and said Minnesota based. And I just like wanted to know what the film scene was in Minnesota, because I, I have filmmakers come on here all the time that get their films on like major platforms. And I'm like, where are you located? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in Nebraska. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, I think. Uh, Right now, we live in an age where the film scene is everywhere. Anyone can make it. And like you can really show your uh, make your your world a character. You're setting a character like Greywood's plot is just Minnesota. Like, it, yeah, that's just I mean, I filmed in like four different or three different backyards for it. And, you know, there's the last that were like one of those last shots where the two characters are standing in front of a lake. That's like the most Minnesota, like Minneapolis shot that <laughs> has ever existed. Um, and so I, I call that shot like our uh, American Gothic of Minnesota, like 
dark. Like that is a, a man and his dog standing in front of a lake, ready to take a walk. Like <laughs> Midwest horror. Yeah, that is. Uh, but we uh, see. I'm I'm from Minnesota, but um, then I my my because I like to draw, and I had made some cartoons for fun and stuff. My dad was basically like. All right, are you are you just gonna do this and go to animation school? Because Minnesota does have a lot of um like Target is based out of Minnesota, Best Buy is based out of Minnesota. There's a lot of corporate gigs. Um, so there was a lot of potential for animation or visual effects and stuff like that. So I went to school for that. Um, and you know, classic story of the modern era have had eighty thousand dollars in student debt and basically yeah. you know, met my wife and we decided we wanted to have kids younger than older. And so we were just like, okay, we'll just, I can keep making my movies, but I'll also get a career job. And I kind of locked into a really good animation. Like an, I was got a job as an animation director pretty early on. Um, I mean, I started as an animator, but then like within a month, they were like, all right, you're, you're good at animating, but you are definitely not, you're directing everyone already without even trying. So we're just going to let you, directed <laughs> so i just started directing like pretty quickly um and then i just decided i you know i hit that point where this gets us to graywood's plot where i was old enough and realized like oh my god the only thing i ever wanted to do was make a feature film like literally that's the only thing on my bucket list i never really like as i mean as a kid i have a thing i found in like an old high school notebook that was an assignment where i went to a private high school where we were supposed to be pastors or teachers like you didn't take uh what's that called where they like assessment tests or like what's the thing aptitude tests yeah i think that's what you're getting at yeah we didn't we didn't take aptitude tests because they didn't want you to know what you should be they just wanted you to work in the church in some way and yeah, to be clear, this is where Daniel and I went to high school. It was a dorm. Like we went to this private high school where we lived there all year round. You know, like it was almost like a almost like military school, but with like a little bit more lenience, I think. But then I tell I talk to people who went to military school and I start telling them about like our study halls and how like strict our you know bed was and like all of that stuff, how we had to be to like chapel three times a day and all that and they're like oh my god this was so much worse than military (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so uh i had liked to do animation so i did so i went to school for animation got into it and then realized like even in high school i what i was saying is i found this piece of paper that was like our aptitude test and it basically was like a what do you want to be like what are you looking to be and i think it was just like the english teacher wanted us to write on it or something like that but I said, I said cinematographer. But then when I described it, I wanted to be a director. Like every yeah. I had no idea what cinematographer just sounded cooler, but I had no idea what it really meant. Like I liked the the idea of running the camera, but I but more than that, I liked the idea of like putting it all together. Like I liked the whole thing. Um so I, you know, so having the background in animation and the background in all of this stuff, the only thing I didn't have a background in was really was writing. And I had written, you know, short films and stuff like that. So I bought a couple books. I got Rebel Without a Crew and I got a book called The DV Rebel's Guide that was all about like tricks to DV filmmaking. So it was a little bit mm-hmm. dated at this time because yeah. we past dv but a lot of the concepts i found like 
really taught some of the basics of visual effects and how to plan your shoot. Um, and then I bought Save the Cat, and that was sort of my writing. Yeah. Um, and, and I started like digging really deep into them, and I took Save the Cat really to heart. And he talks about the forty note cards thing. Mm-hmm. So I I was like, all right, it's my I hit my thirtieth birthday. And 30, no movie done. I had a mortgage, kids, wife, career, like everything was kind of set up. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't do the one damn thing that should have been the easiest thing. Like you hear about 21 year olds running out with a camera and making a feature film. Any, anyone can do it these days. I was the opposite of, have you seen American movie? I fucking love that movie, but I haven't seen it in so long, but oh my God, that is genius movie. Yeah, so Mark filmmakers Mark, go see this, go find American movie and watch it. I think it's on like Blu-ray, just got a release. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. It, yeah, it did just get a Blu-ray, or it, I don't know if it has yet, but it's. I think it is getting one, or it just got one. Yeah, but, I saw uh, something announced about it. Oh my god, I, it's I on Voodoo. It. I got it on Voodoo, and I watch it like once a week. I literally, <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. I'm, I literally for a while was watching it. I worked for the news for a hot second and every Friday I would throw it on in the first like couple hours when we were just like waiting for yeah. the news to roll in. Cause I was an editor. So just waiting for the news to roll in and I'd put on American movie every single Friday. <laughs> but there's a scene where Mark, Mark Borchard is like, uh, all these bills coming in and dudes talking about making a feature film. Like, what world do we live in? And like, he talks about it like so seriously. I'm yeah. the opposite where I'm just like, anyone can do it just go do it like (laughs) granted mark had to deal with like film stock and all of that much more difficult than we do now um but anyway so i turned 30 and i basically told my wife i'm like if i don't go make a movie i'm gonna i'm gonna be done my life isn't worth living (laughs) i'm i'm an always kind of person like i get real dramatic and there was so she's like okay well how about this you go make it for your 30th birthday i'll let you go make it and i'm like I don't even know what I'd make. Like, I don't have an idea. I don't know what I would do. Um, and so I sort of got it stuck in my head. I was like, all right, for my 31st birthday, we're going to go. Well, at first it wasn't 31st birthday. At first, after the 30th, it's like this summer we're going out and we're going to film or this fall we're going out and we're going to film. And it didn't happen. And then winter came in Minnesota. Nothing gets done. Sat around <laughs> by springtime. I was like, okay, fine. For my 31st birthday, we're going to go out. I'm going to write out the script I'm gonna, or the, the idea. We're going to get it ready. And me and Daniel and Keith are going to go out, just the three of us, and we're going to make this thing. I don't care if it's absolute garbage, but I, I need my Ed Wood moment. I need to just go make a thing. Another good one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... That's pretty much what happened. Um, but I started getting more into reading these books and I read Save the Cat and Rebel Without a Crew. And both of those kind of inspired this concept of the note cards and the scriptment and and Mumblecore movies were so huge in that. Like, it, I mean, they were before that, but at that time it was sort of like the Duplass brothers were becoming the household name of yeah. the Duplass bros. And it was like, we watched Baghead and Creep and we're just like, okay, fine. We can, we can do this. Let's go do this. Um, so for my 31st birthday, we did. We all went out in the woods and Nathan Strauss, the guy who plays the fly man in the movie, he uh, or Igor, depending <laughs> on what you want to call him. Um, he came out and was kind of my assistant director. And we filmed this movie and just failed miserably at it. It just 
we filmed for six days and spent most of the time drunk. There's some of the footage made it into the final movie, but what it really did was it let us like kind of experiment with the script and do some improv and kind of figure out our characters and what we were making. And it also sort of, uh, it validated this concept because the original concept was I wanted Daniel to be a mad scientist to my desperately wanting fame like i always loved this growing up during the youtube era i just love this concept to people like we're gonna be so fucking famous yep <laughs> which has never been all that interesting to me like the idea of being famous doesn't it really doesn't do that much i'm more like that's exhausting like, yeah i so much more want to be able to make art and not have to worry about the bills every week like that's yeah. the, the plus of it um and so we uh we got back, looked at the footage. Daniel and I did some editing and we talked about it. And we were, that's when we decided, okay, it's going to be black and white. It's actually more of a throwback to horror movies than we thought. Just, I think our love of old school monster movies just naturally kind of mm -hmm. came through. And so we were like, well, why don't we embrace it and just really lean into the black and white? Um, and then nothing happened for like six months. And then I got on Rebel Without a Crew and everything changed. I ended up almost accidentally backing into making my first feature on accident with Robert and uh, on the last day of filming the good exorcist, I turned to Daniel after, you know, you do the martini shot and everyone cheers is at the end, the last shot rolls. And then usually there's like a hot second where you get to hang out. Well, with the reality crew, there wasn't that because I was on strict rules about like how much time I had. So it was like martini shot. We got to pack up and go. Cause I've only got 15 minutes to be back at the house or I'm in trouble. So <laughs> we, um, we, I packed everything up and as I was going, you know, Dan and I are like hugging and like so tired and fried. And we're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe we've, we actually filmed the whole thing. This is wild. And there was like this dead silence. And I was like, you know what we got to do next. Right. And he's like, yeah, I know we got to finish Greywood's plot. Nice. And, and like both of us were already like, we hadn't even started really editing the good exorcist. And we both were already thinking about like, that movie that needs to get done because it was so we knew that we had something we wanted to say with it and we knew if we didn't like consciously go let's do this we never would have done it yeah man that's that's freaking cool dude uh the good exorcist i want to touch on that because i'm so intrigued with rebel without a crew i've read the book too i read it kind of like 10 years ago uh, so, maybe maybe want to run through a brick wall with a camera and that doesn't make any sense. I would have broke the camera, but you get it. Like I really wanted to make me make movies. Yeah. Um, so that was a TV show on El Rey network, Would they actually filmed the whole putting it together with everybody. So, you know, so there was five of us that got on the show and the process was, well, so I, I don't remember how I stumbled onto it, but I was just like, you know, fucking doom scrolling through Facebook one day or something and saw Robert Rodriguez's El Rey network was accepting animations for this short film show they that. had called the people's network or the people's showcase or something like that. Yeah. And I, I uh, so I saw the, I saw that ad and I was like, I had just finished this cartoon with a guy named Josh Roush. He uh, works for Kevin Smith and I worked for Kevin Smith when I first graduated from animation school, I did like a bunch of animation for him for his podcast and um 
he and so I met Josh through this is a long time ago and really hard to remember exactly how it went down. But Josh Roush messaged me and they had just finished um, Red State. No, it was after Tusk because I worked on Tusk and did some stuff on that. And then Josh messaged me and was like, hey, he was Michael Parks' assistant on those movies. And so he messaged me and was like, hey, I want to do an animation with Michael Parks. Would you be interested in doing the animation? And I was like, sure, man, let's do it. So he got Michael Parks to do a voiceover and and, uh, Kevin's daughter and then this other awesome voice actress that I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But um, the three of them did voices. Then I animated it. And then Michael Parks passed away like right after I finished it. So it was literally like the last thing Parks had worked on. Wow. And so... I saw, I saw that Robert was accepting cartoons and I'm like, it, it's a weird, dark little animation. It's very strange. I, I love it, but it is definitely not like a funny cartoon. It's really odd. Um, and so I sent that in and I sent another cartoon in and I, but I specifically sent that one in going like, Hey, Robert, you and Michael Parks work together. You were obviously a huge fan. I just wanted you to see this final animation or this final project that he worked on that I just happened to be part of. I had an email back that was like, hey, we love the Michael Parks animation. It is way too messed up or way too not our brand for us to use. We can't use that, but we love this other one. Can we use this other one? So they bought that from me and uh, flew me out. I went to L.A. and I did like a little, what, not an OTF, but like a little talking head piece about the animation. And then while I was there, I was talking to the showrunner of that show, a guy named Brian Crow. And he was like, hey, man, we're starting up this Rebel Without a Crew show. And Robert's going to give everyone $7,000 to make a feature film in 14 days. Could you do an animation like that? And I'm like, that four-minute animation you saw took me like five months, man. Like, (laughs) animation takes forever. It's such a grueling process. I was like, but I have done some short films. Um, And this one I actually did literally by myself and I pulled up my phone and I did this short film called stocking. That was just like my, my uh, wife and kids had like left for a Sunday or a Saturday on the weekend of Christmas. So I was on Christmas break from work. They left on a Saturday and went to my in-laws and I stayed home. And instead of just like being lazy and watching TV, I was like, I'm going to make a short film. So the short film is just like a joke that I play on my kids at Christmas every year where like we all have our stockings laid out and I'm always like, what's in dad's stocking? Ah, and then pretend like it's eating me. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I'm going to turn that into a short film. So that's all it is. Literally a guy wakes up like hungover on the couch. Here's something coming from the stocking walks over and it eats him alive. Like super simple, whatever. <laughs> but I filmed the whole thing myself and had like the, the uh, tripod with like wheels on what do you call those hot wheels tracks? And I was like pulling it at myself with the fishing line. So like set up this whole thing to film this movie, the short film by myself and showed it to Ryan. And he was like, man, this is exactly the kind of weirdness we're looking for. I want you to apply for rebel without a crew. So I was like, cool, man. But I had no idea what that meant. And I assumed it was that LA thing where starts talking about something and then nothing ever comes of it. Yep. (laughs) Oh, I went, I went home and two months passed, three months passed, something like that. And all of a sudden I get an email from Ryan Crow and he's like, hey, man, here's the application. Um, but I, you know, send in your script when you can, like send it in tomorrow. Uh, and I was like, OK, so I filled out the application. And then at the bottom of the application, it says, like, send in your script to and has an email address. 
I didn't have a script. Like I didn't have a feature script I could write or film for $7,000. Mm-hmm. So I emailed him back and I'm like, Hey man, is there any way I could have like two weeks to just go over or a week to just go over my script and try to tweak it, get it out of the first draft, like reevaluate some things to make it so I could do it for $7,000. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. So then Daniel and I just started writing like crazy. We took two weeks and he's like, and that's when Ryan was like, we need the scripts by two weeks. That's when everyone else is sending them. How about you send yours in in two weeks? I was like, great. So then I start, and that's when I sent in like a little scriptment and everything of what the concept was, was with that. And he was, he liked that enough that he was like, yeah, send in your script. Um, so Daniel, and I got to writing, we wrote our script and then got the word like, man it was forever so i had a trip i had planned a trip to uh where were we going peru or something like that i can't remember where we're going but wherever and (laughs) it was so long ago but we uh my wife and i were going with my in-laws and that would fall on the same day as i would start the show so I was like, hey, guys, I need to know if I'm going to be on the show because I am supposed to have this trip I'm going on and I need to either cancel it or figure it out. And there was like three months where I was just being like strung along, like you're in the top 300, <laughs> you're in the top 100, please stick with us. You're in the top 50. Like it kept being like you're in the top whatever, but we can't announce yet. Um and so then uh, finally I got the word and they were like, yeah, you're going to be on the show. If you want, we love the script. If you can do it for seven grand, man, come on out. And that's how it all kind of started. And then Daniel and I started prepping, went out, got on the show and it was the most insane like yeah. vacation for me, like filmmaking. I love it. It was only like a month and a half. It was really quick. It was crazy. But for me, it was like the most fun I've ever had in my life. I bet. Yeah. Doing something like that's got that, 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 that you, you literally live like an indie filmmaker's dream right there. Yes. Oh, Were like, you in close cahoots with uh, Robert Rodriguez throughout any of that? Like, yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Robert was like coming out to set and we were, you know, I spent like tons of time at Troublemaker Studio. We filmed a bunch of stuff at Troublemaker. I wanted to make sure there's a scene in The Good Exorcist where Father Gill goes to hell. And in that yeah. scene, uh, we filmed that. I wanted Daniel to kneel where Bruce Willis stood in Planet Terror. So that nice. scene takes place in the same like lot as Planet Terror. Like, I don't know if it's literally the same place Bruce Willis's feet stood, but I like to think at some point he was right there. In the background, there's like the Predators um, jungle, like because you know Robert Rodriguez produced yeah. Predators. Is that what it's called? I think it's called Predators. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that like was in the background. I couldn't turn the camera a certain way because all of his like crazy cars, they had like the kill, kill bill mobile. They had like all this other stuff just sitting right there. It was crazy. Um, but the show is really awesome. I, I don't know where people can see it at this point. It was on Roku for free for like six months and now it's not on there anymore. And I don't know. I don't really know where it is. I've heard that, uh, if people subscribe to my Patreon, they might get a taste. Uh, that's a very, uh, what's the word? Trying not to get a cease and desist way of <laughs> potential for people to see something from the show. If they subscribe at patreon.com slash flush studios. Um, Try not to get a cease. <laughs> that's a, 
Yeah, I know what you mean. That's a joke on the show because I had the theme song to this uh, show has something that I still can't believe I haven't got a cease and desist letter from it. Um, it's pretty funny. I've heard stories <laughs> about movies from from relatively very, very famous people who have told me things that are in their movies that they got away with and they're still there. And when you know the backstory, you're just like, oh, my God, that is crazy that no one, <laughs> like sued like really no one sued for that <laughs> that's freaking awesome i mean it hasn't aired on the el ray network at all it did, like, but it, el, yeah. El, yeah so it, it aired on el ray and el ray is in a weird place now because they aren't on satellite anymore and it's just such a weird it still airs on el ray wherever el ray or it did there's like something on roku with el ray and yeah. i remember and look i remember an el ray launched i have a friend uh, shout out to Chris Carranted. I know he's listening and he comes on this show every now and then, but um, I go to his house. He's just like, check this thing out. Robert Rodriguez is a fucking TV channel. And yeah. I was like, what? And he plays, he, we just had it on. And he's just like, this guy's got freaking Shaw brother films and like, you know, like meet the feebles and whatnot. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm like, this is so my bag. And like, I don't know, I, I don't have cable anymore. I just, you know, like everybody just have a ton of streaming platforms and might as well just get cable again because it's the same price. Yep. But um, I clicked on Roku because I I clicked on the Roku channel. I was like, get El Ray through Roku. And like, it's, I don't know. It's not, this, something about it wasn't the same. I'll just say that. I don't want to knock it because I love El Ray Network and I'm sure you do too, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't use Roku and getting the channel was kind of a, a mess for me. So I didn't get it on there. I loved it. Um, before I like, I watched a little before I was on the show, but then once I was on the people's network showcase, I, um, I started I mean, it was on in the background 24 seven. That's just like, was my, like, you know, some people have CNN or whatever BBC on in the background or like grandma had, you know, old jazz music on in the background all the time. El Ray Network was on in the background for me for like two years. Yeah. Um, not a, but yeah, now I don't, you can't really find it anywhere. I wish that, I mean, it would be nice if it would come back in a simple platform that's easy to use, but it just hasn't. And, and uh, Rebel Without a Crew, I mean, I really just, I wish they'd throw, find a, a home for it that's easy because it is a reality show, but um, it's a, it's a lot of fun and I think it deserves a bigger audience. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, it never really got the play that I think it deserved. Well, let me transition into uh, your your new project, uh, Greywood's Plot. But I want to transition with a question. It's not really a question. It's just something I noticed between the good exorcist and Greywood's Plot. Uh, there seem to be little like insert shots that look like they're off of like an eight millimeter or 16 millimeter camera of some sorts. Like, is that kind of your bag? Is that like your aesthetic? You like kind of shooting with uh, film stock like that? Yeah, so I'm big on mixed media and to a fault. Like I absolutely adore mixed media. Mm-hmm. I'm I love putting animation in my movies. I love putting in super eight shots. I love like going into dream sequences that are like completely David Lynchian, followed by something like very, very simple that's just like a conversation by a fire or whatever. Like I love yeah. just all over the place. I'm I'm very antsy. Like if you, you're, I don't know. This is an audio podcast, I assume. Yeah. Um. So the so you all can't see me, but my arms tend to move. <laughs> I'm like really, really. <laughs> um, but I I'm antsy, and I love when media mixes. I love being surprised. I hate comfort. Like I just am not a fan of 
comfort material. I love a movie that I hate and then two days later can't stop thinking about and become obsessed with. Like, oh, yeah. that's my favorite kind of movie is the movie that I, which is why I hate reviews. I'm not a fan of reviews. I think that they're obnoxious because most of the time a review happens and someone writes it and they're just like, they just walked out of the theater and then they're yeah. like, now I have to pontificate about what I saw. It's like, well, you, you had no time with it. You had no, there's like no mm-hmm. real art in that sort of criticism. Um, I did get one review today for Greywood's plot that I read that the guy said he was writing the review a few days later and he couldn't stop thinking about the movie. And I was like, best review ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I love that. That made me so happy. Uh, and he said he had one sentence that was like so on the nose what I was like, artistically going for with what I was trying to say, like the sentiment of the movie that I was like, Oh my God. Yes. My kind of people, Um, which is really, it's a feeling I've never had before. It was really good to know, like someone thought about it that long and got what I was, what I was going for, which I don't care if, you know, I want people to take away whatever they want. It's really nice though. When you kind of pull it off and you're like, Oh man, someone put my little puzzle together. I like it. But well, what was the question? Uh, mixed media Super 8. I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. So that Super 8 footage at the beginning of Greywood's plot in the um, really pretentious suicide video, uh, that uh, is actual Super 8 footage I filmed of my son, and which I'm playing off as like it's supposed to be him, like it's old video his parents had took or whatever. Yeah. But it uh, that's Super 8 footage I took of my son. And then... Like there's a shot in that super eight footage of a spider and he's like, what the fuck does a spider have to do with anything? That's an inside joke because originally uh, the plot, I don't want to say too much, but in the movie, it doesn't really matter. In the movie, there's a dog transformation. Originally, it was meant to be it was going to be a spider man. Like, I don't know. I'm terrified. I was terrified of spiders. I had arachnophobia when I was a kid, like really bad, like up all night screaming like waking up constantly thinking there were spiders on me um and not that bad but i I did have arachnophobia and my dad's way of fixing that was to take me out in the backyard every day i would have to go catch spiders with like like wolf spiders in the backyard which i tell people this and they're like that's messed up and to me it's almost like a fond memory that got me over my fear because i don't have it at all anymore now i can like walk up to a spider and pick it up i have no arachnophobia anymore but um, that was sort of my that that's an inside joke because the sort of concept of becoming the monster, you know, as an artist, you kind of have to do that was I took spiders for that. So that's super eight footage I filmed. Um, I'm But I'm actually right now I have oh, I'm not going to show you because I don't know where it is, but I have six rolls or seven rolls of cartridges of super eight film behind me right now i'm going to be shooting a short film i never got to do a super eight short like an actual super eight short i was a little too young for that um but you know you hear about like steven spielberg starting on super eight rodriguez starting on super eight and i'm just like man i want to see what that's like i want to try it so on september 30th i'm going to film my first super eight short film um and i filmed some test footage that Role you see in Greywood's plot was my first test role, just to see if I could figure out how to get it developed, see if I could figure out what to do. The um, Super 8 in The Good Exorcist 
is faked. That's not real Super 8. I did like a digital, okay. I created my own like digital. Super- I, ca- I kind of had a hunch, but I don't want to say anything, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it still looks good, but no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, there actually is a couple shots in Greywood's plot that aren't Super 8, but I would, I can't tell which it is anymore. Like I really like was finding grain, taking grain from the actual Super 8 and putting it on there, like matching color tones of the Super 8 I got back. Um, and so, yeah, I love I love the look of Super 8 footage. I'm a huge fan. And so I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go film this Super 8 short and get try to get in some of those like mini, mini film festivals, mm-hmm. like, you know, two to three minute short films. That's sort of what I'm planning for this one. But this is my this is my chance to do like a pretentious little Super 8 movie. Cool. I look forward to that. Um, so yeah, Super 8 in The Good Exorcist is funny, though, because I fucking I, it's one of my biggest regrets. Um, cause I love that concept so much, but no one got it until, you know, no one understood it when I showed the movie and I had to change it because the concept was father Gill is like keeping this footage for himself. And we're seeing the monsters in this super eight footage. Like we see the demons in the super eight footage, but father Gill wouldn't see it in that moment because he would have to have it, you know, sent away, get it developed, then get it back. And then he would see them weeks later. Uh, when I, when I did that and I put the monsters into the footage and people watched it, they were like, why is he just okay with this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, well, he's not seeing this. We get to see this later. And like, it was too confusing and threw people off, but I hadn't filmed it any other way, so I had to keep the Super 8 in The Good Exorcist or it didn't make sense. And I actually like it. I think it's fun little like cutaway that keeps the movie. It kind of breaks up the first act, the second act, or like, like the first act and the second part of the second act, like into the into the second part of the second act before we get to the third. And so I uh, so I like it in there, but it's just it always drove me nuts because I think that concept is so cool that Father Gill like, I wish I had done a scene early in the movie where Father Gill is like watching a Super 8 footage and we understand then that when he's filming it, we're getting to see something. But it is what it is. Um, you made a comic, right? Yeah. Father Gill? yeah. Yeah. So I did two issues of Father Gill comics and I just we I wrote a third issue and I'm sort of like slowly plugging away at the art, although I'm. I switched over to a different comic series that I've always wanted to do called Steven the Maggots, which is I actually have some pictures. I don't know. You could kind of see them hanging right here. Um, but I just started that one this week. I'm three pages into it. But uh, Steven the Maggots is sort of my take on Earthworm Jim or Ninja Turtles or like the 90s. Oh, yes. Crazy. Like when the people would just make like the characters didn't have to make any sense. You just could like have fun looking at the weirdest stuff. So that's Steve and the maggots where it's just this like weird superhero-ish monster of a man who has these like three maggots that follow him around, like three monster maggots that follow. He's sort of like the puppet and they're the puppet master despite <laughs> crime in this town. You um, mentioned Ninja Turtles and it makes me can't wait. Cause I'm, I'm, flying back home to uh where i'm from in western massachusetts uh next month and the creators of that teenage mutant ninja turtles are they had a studio i think like they've i forget the guy's name the guy who created it he had a studio space in my hometown northampton mass so there's this debate on where like tmnt was created sure and i guess 
near where the studio space used to be outside, they put up this like really cool mural of Ninja Turtles outside. Right. And I'm just like fucking sweet Instagram posts coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I mean, I'd named my son Raphael. So I am. Oh, I'm, nice, dude. Okay, let's let's jump into Greywood's plot full on here. Um, you finish Good Exorcist, you finish on Rebel Without a Crew, and you guys think uh, we need to go bang this thing out. Um, where did you guys go from there after leaving the set of The Good Exorcist? Um, how did you guys pick back up to go get this thing finished? Yeah, so we had, so I had, um, let's see, we finished October. I had three and a half months to edit The Good Exorcist. So... Um, I finished that, got it out something like maybe, maybe not October. Let's see. November, December, January. Yeah. Like two and a half months to edit the whole movie, which is a lot sound design. I do everything myself. I couldn't hire yeah. like any, <laughs> had no money. I noticed so, by the end credits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the good exorcist, I, I, you know, did the sound, did all this visual effects. I hired a buddy to do a couple of visual effects. My buddy, Jeremy Wanick, who's a super talented dude. Um, amazing editor. Um, he helped me do like the Father Gale bullet hole animation that goes through the head. Oh, yeah. And then helped me with a few of, I don't know, a few other little random effects. I think he helped me with the fire that's coming out of the piano. Um, he's really good with particular and stuff like that. So, anyway, helped me with a few of the visual effects. But I did those like two animations in The Good Exorcist. I did like everything and I cranked all that out in two months. And got it out so that they could send it to South by Southwest. We screened it South by Southwest. And then we waited on it to air on El Rey Network. And it was just like this waiting game of seeing what's going to happen. And then I didn't have the rights to the movie because El Rey Network had the rights. So I was sort of in this, like, not a battle, but definitely like a constant conversation of like, hey, guys, I could do something with this versus it just sitting there like, yeah. or if you guys want to do something with it, let's do something. Let's like put out Blu-rays. Let's make something. And they were just like not in the place to fund that weren't interested. And so eventually I got the rights back. But while all of that nonsense was happening, I was just like sitting around going like, oh my God, I'm so freaking bored. And I'm so sick of post-production. I want to get back on set. So um, it was right after I got back from South by Southwest, I took like two weeks and was just like, forget it. I'm just going to write the script. We're not going to mumble core Greywood's plot. I'm going to write it. I'm going to storyboard the whole damn thing. And we're going to do this right. And so I started going back through the footage again. Now, like a year later, after we had, you know, like a year and a half later, after, before we had filmed Grey, the first footage of Greywood's plot. Now we're a year and a half later. And I'm like, looking through this footage going like, Oh, I like this little, oh, I like this little improv, my swinging hands, hit my microphone, <laughs> little improv uh, bit Keith and I did about our favorite animal being Bigfoot versus a dog or whatever. So then I was like, okay, I'll write this scene. Cause the improv is okay. But I'm like, I think we can write more jokes into it, make it work a little smoother, like tighten it up. Um, so then I started writing scenes and the movie just sort of like, came to me in a fever. Like I just took like two days. I think I wrote 90% of that script in two days and then sent it to Daniel. And he was like, Oh, this is we're filming, man. I like this. And then he started writing more or like took it over and started writing some jokes into it, cleaned some things up. And then we went out and started filming and we just, we were weekend warriors. We do like, I think it started with me filming the suicide scene in the bathroom which I'd actually seen, I'd filmed a version of it before. Um, 
And it's funny because you can compare the two and the edits and it's like one is very, very rough, like like very film school rough. And the other one's a lot tight. Like I got better from The Good Exorcist. You're like, oh, my God, I it definitely pays to go back. Um, Yeah. But then we yeah, we went out into the woods, um, you know, like things had changed. The cabin was like a little bit more decrepit that birdhouse had fallen down. So we were like going to film some more stuff by the birdhouse and the birdhouse had just completely toppled over. We were like, shit. So that's why like you see like a wide shot of them walking up to the birdhouse or with the birdhouse sitting on the slant. And then the rest of it's all close-ups because we couldn't do any more wide <laughs> birdhouse was gone. <laughs> so that was all filmed later. Um, but man, we were filming up until like we got accepted to a film festival. Our first film festival was the Twin Cities Film Festival. And we got in and I was like doing the final watch through with my wife about three weeks before we had to send the final version to the film festival. And I was watching it with my wife, but she had never seen it. And I wanted her to I wanted like that extra eyes for you never know when some visual effect is just like lingering in a corner and you don't see it because you're so hyper focused so watching with her and it got to the end of the movie and she was like i just don't understand why he would do that and i was like what do you mean and she's like there's just like the two of them don't seem to get along doug and dom i just don't quite get their relationship and i was like really and went and watched like the last 15 minutes of the movie probably 10 times, 15 times, just like, oh my God, I see what you mean. I need a dinner sequence. And that dinner sequence where the knocking on the table, that wasn't in the movie. So two weeks before the movie was due to the film festival, like, like they had already accepted it, but <laughs> it, uh, but it wasn't good enough for me to screen. And so I wrote that scene, the dinner table or the dinner sequence called Daniel and Strauss. I'm like, boys, we're going back out. And Daniel's like, I've got a place the basement at my work. He worked at this furniture store. He was like, the basement is like totally dank and weird. And like, I have a table and some chairs. Let's just set up in there. We'll wrap you in freaking gauze and like, just do this thing up. We got there. We set everything up. We started filming it. We were, I was like, we need something to eat. So I ran across the street to the gas station and bought like the worst looking salad I could find and a bottle of like a thing of like uh, salsa, like paste picante sauce or whatever. Yeah. Poured it in a cup. So that's like what he's drinking out of that cup. Like that's, and I'm just like, I'm literally downing salsa. It was absolutely <laughs> nasty, but um, gas station salsa. Gas station salsa, exactly. And Daniel's eating like an old gas station salad. I've, if one thing I do, I noticed that I also like it's, food to look absolutely disgusting in movies like father gale eating that weird which was just clay it was like clay with yellow food coloring or something i got it at the dollar store i got stuff from the dollar store the day before because my i didn't want to use any budget so i was just like i don't know let's go to the dollar store and buy some random crap so i bought clay poured some food coloring in it or white bread (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like i wrote that joke just or that sequence just because i'm like i'm too cheap to buy anything i'll buy white bread um the rotisserie chicken thing that mrs willows is like hammering at which then became daniel's dinner uh because daniel was actually when we filmed the good exorcist quick tangent when we filmed the good exorcist daniel didn't have anywhere to stay 
So he actually slept at the ranch <laughs> in the Mrs. Willow's bedroom in the movie. So uh, he, but he didn't have a car or anything, so he couldn't run to get food. And it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So he would, he would like eat any spare food left around on set, like the rotisserie chicken or that, that white bread from um, what father Gill loves the, uh, he ate through that whole white bread. Like there was a, they would buy us lunch. The reality show would actually, that was one of the nice things I didn't, you know, on most um, indie films, most of your budget goes towards buying your cast and crew lunch. Mm-hmm. Like that's like your biggest expense if you're planning properly. And uh, I didn't have to do that on the good exorcist because due to the reality crew union rules, they had to provide lunch for us because we were also on a reality show. So we got lunch. I didn't have to pay for lunch. That was nice. Although they did buy, we did buy Brittany, a, uh, who plays Maria, a birthday cake. And they took that out of my goddamn budget. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't told about it. Daniel was like, hey, I bought Brittany a birthday cake. And then all of a sudden my producer was like, you can't do that. That has to come out of the budget. We can't buy things on set that. And I was like, he bought Daniel did. It's out of the kind of kindness of his heart. He's like, she's like, I can't, you got to pay for the cake, man. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> um, yeah it's uh so then we went out and just started filming on the weekends i would film some scenes by myself like any stuff in my basement i filmed by myself or my wife would come down and help me shoot a shot or whatever very mark burchard with his mom um and so we kind of like slowly cranked through it and eventually finished it up and then you know, COVID happened. So we've been basically sitting on this movie for like two years, just like, you know, we've done film festivals slowly. We've done like, we did like our own screening where we did tickets and people could watch it online. Like at the height of COVID, we did like a whole thing, which literally fell on the day. So we're, I'm from Minnesota. I was working at the news and, um, you know, George Floyd was murdered in our freaking front yard and lit almost literally in Daniel's front yard, like three blocks down or four blocks down from Daniel's place. And, you know, shit hit the fan in Minnesota and there was like riots and the city was on fire for like four days. And that just happened to be the day I planned this freaking screening was like the day of that. So of course no one's really in the mood to watch a super, you know, depressed, not super, but a relatively depressing movie. Um, but <laughs> people, people t- tuned in and it was a lot of fun still, but our timing wasn't great. But then we got into some other film festivals and we just kind of stayed the course until eventually Terror came around and was, they were interested in it and we got the release. Nice, man. I, I wanted to ask you, you have you did you always want to cast yourself in this? Or is it always going to be you? Or no. you, you went through it. You went through other actors, but no, I guess I didn't go through other actors, but I it was necessity. I don't like yeah. that. I am not an actor. I, I really am not a fan of doing it. I'm with Greywood's plot. It was something I had fun with because I told myself I really wanted to know what it's like to be on the other side of the camera when tough things are asked of you. So um, like originally I was naked on the table during the surgery sequence because I wanted to know what it's like to be naked in a, a movie. So if I ever ask someone to do a nude scene, I get it. Now, we ended up cutting any of the nudity because it was very, I mean, it was just distracting from the scene to have a naked guy on the table. It was, you lose that sort of uh, throwback to Universal Monsters when all of a sudden there's a dong on screen. Like you just, it loses that. 
Uh, and also we found that like we didn't want to make torture porn and there were little things that would be taking it too far. And um, originally there was a whole, we did a whole effect where Daniel was grinding down my teeth and we used soap and we had like soap falling out. Like it looked like he was grinding like dog fangs and it was too much. I just, people couldn't take it. It was like, it made people look away from the screen more so than they do at what happens in the movie. And that's why I, I mean, it was the effect look, the effects looked really good and we were able to do a great job, like tearing off my face slowly, but surely. Um, but we still kept it out of focus. I like, I purposely took the shots that were out of focus a lot because I didn't want it to move into torture porn um, area. I love torture porn. Don't get me wrong. I'll probably someday make one. But this needed to teeter a fine line between like straight up, you know, Eli Roth and still keeping it a little bit toned down, even though I still think at times people's imagination runs farther than oh, yeah. what, what we show. And I think it may actually affect some people even worse, <laughs> just not in, it's not intentional. But like, I think there is like an element where people they remember it being nastier than it was when you actually sit down and take it shot for shot you and you kind of go like oh yeah you don't really see all that much yeah there's but their imagination just goes wild with certain stuff <laughs> no there's so many scenes in film history that do that trick i mean the first thing that comes to mind for me is like the chainsaw in the shower scene in scarface yeah. Like, like you would, they they cut a guy up in a, in a bathtub in some cheap motel in Miami, but like, you just see, like, you just hear the chainsaw and you see a little bit of blood, but you don't really see anything. And then like, that still leaves a taste in my mouth or whatever of like, yeah. Oh my God, I just saw a guy get cut up by a chainsaw. It's freaking nasty. And I always admire that when I see a, when I see a film do that, when I watch something that, you know, makes me cringe and whatnot, but I'm really not fully seeing it. And I think the scene you're implying um, did a really good job at that. And I, to give a compliment, I don't know if it's a question or a compliment, but um, the first two acts of this movie, like, you know, does a really good job kind of getting to where it's going, but like, I still didn't even know where it was going. But once we hit that third act, damn, dude, you let the floodgates really kind of drop. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's weird because like, it's funny. It's, I think one of the things that really throws people for a loop is the fact that, and it, this is a little bit like inside baseball, I guess, or whatever, but it really isn't the third act. And I think that's what gets people because a lot of times you can throw like a major plot thing at the mm -hmm. end of the movie. Like the, this is the, this is the big twist at the end, but we actually do it like at the second part of the second act. It's like act one is them getting to the woods. Yeah. Act two, part one is them just kind of adventuring through the woods. And then act two, part two, like completely shifts and we're in a, yeah. a different movie almost. Um, and then, and I, I kind of took that partially from, I mean, that's it's the Coen brothers do that really well sometimes. Like Fargo is a movie that like teeters these back and forth between like one type of movie and another type of movie the whole time. Oh, and yeah. then, like when you finally get, like Margie doesn't show up into the movie 
for like 45 minutes. It takes forever before Margie is even in the movie. And that's it becomes a totally different movie once Margie shows up. And I sort of wanted to do that. Um, and so, th yeah, that's sort of where my my mind was with it. But um, I, I, I do love that, that people it is a it's a drop. But that's why there's like also these little moments peppered throughout the movie to let you know, like anything could happen, like the killer hobo animation that comes out of nowhere that he's, when he's telling that story. Or like, you know, the dream sequences. There's all these like kind of weird little things, even early on in the movie, like Dom pulls. No one ever brings this part up, but it's so messed up to me that Dom pulls like a fly out of his drawer and feeds it to a Venus fly trap. And that it's like, so, yeah, that was a cool part. Yeah. But it's like this dude has freaking flies just, you know, <laughs> living in his desk to feed like he is a demented dude. And no one seems to really mind that. Everyone kind of lets it go. And I'm always just like, that's weird. Like, if your friend did that, you'd be like, you are a twisted dude. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. That, so would you label this? And if not, it's fine. It's, it's your movie. But would you label this like a horror comedy? Or are you? Yeah. What, yeah. What, I call it a comedy horror. Um, I, I prefer. I don't prefer. I don't really care. I like to think of it more as like a terror movie, like not yeah. a, and I don't say that because we're terror films. That's not what I mean. I'm not being funny. <laughs> Sweet like bug. I, I don't think it's like jump scary. It's not a horror movie. No. It's not like the, it's, it's honestly like it drives me nuts because it's black and white and it's the same kind of like concept a little bit, but I did this long before I saw the lighthouse. Now I love the lighthouse. That's oh, yeah. when I was talking about it earlier, when I was saying like, I love a movie that I hate when I first see it. And then I love it later. Oh my God. I walked out of the lighthouse. So mad. I was just like pretentious trash. Like I went home and I laid down in bed and my wife was like, what'd you think of the movie? I was like, Fuck, God. man, point four guys just make exactly just, how I felt. They're just pretentious jerk offs. And then I laid there for like the next three days thinking about nothing but the lighthouse. And now it's become like my comfort movie. I watch it like, <laughs> Literally like once a month. I went through a phase during when it first came out. I bought it on Amazon and we were at like peak COVID. That was the last movie I saw before COVID, before like everything shut down was The Lighthouse. And then it hit Amazon and I bought it. And there was a point where I was coming home from working at the news, throwing on The Lighthouse every single night, like before bed. Uh, I'm like, I became obsessed. But I wouldn't call The Lighthouse a horror movie, even though I find it absolutely scary as hell. Like I find it, totally demented and terrifying that's more like what i i feel like i'm going for with my movies like i'm not it's really tough for me to make just like straight up horror as much as i love it i don't know if i'm ever going to just be able to do like a horror movie although i tried i wrote one called band-aid face um that daniel and daniel's going over the script right now we're hoping to film early next year but um you know it's called band-aid fa face title subject to change because band-aid is a registered trademark and i don't know if i'm going to get away with calling it. it yeah another cease and desist letter i know all these <laughs> cease and desist um <laughs> but uh yeah but i mean i i call it a horror comedy like when i post about it i'm always like check out our comedy horror great woods i usually call it a comedy horror be mostly because it starts as a comedy and becomes a horror <laughs> yeah versus like a horror comedy I no, I, I just I, I love the uh, 
the build to it, even though like I, I won't lie to you, like while I was watching, I was like, I don't know where the fuck this is going. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the fuck, like I don't know what the fuck this is going, but I'm like, it, it's just one of those movies that's I could tell you're stringing the audience along and then you're gonna hit them with a really what the fuck stuff. And honestly, a lot of the visual effects that happen in those final 15, 20 minutes, uh, whether it be um what happens to your character, if I should say that, I don't know, maybe I'll cut that out. And kind of the stuff, the stuff in the forest. It doesn't bother people. Don't they forget, man? They're sitting in the, <laughs> they're sitting in the movie and they're watching it and they're like, I get, okay, I guess this is just like guys are gonna get attacked in the woods. I see yeah. where it's going. It's still cool um, though. And then you get to it, and I never it I've never heard someone who even that I've told what happens. I've literally told them the whole plot. I've never had someone like, I saw it coming, man. I wish you wouldn't have spoiled it for me. They're always <laughs> like, dude, you are just sick. You are sick. Um, yeah, that uh, the cowl, that's what we call it, the the mask. Yeah. Um, we made that ourselves. We made that in my kitchen. Uh, Strauss, who plays the fly man, Strauss went on YouTube, decided he wanted to do the visual effects himself. I had talked to like maybe five visual effects guys and asked them how much it would cost to make me into this thing. And they uh, they quoted me like, you know, seven grand. The cheapest I can go is four grand. I'm like, I'm, I will probably not spend four grand on the whole movie, guys. Like <laughs> I am not spending that much on this thing. So um, if push came to shove, I would have just bought stuff from, you know, Spirit Halloween or whatever and made something work. And so... Hell yeah. But Strauss started getting really into it and he uh, casted my face in my kitchen while my kids ran around with cell phones filming. Cause I'm like, if I'm going to, if we're going to screw this up and I suffocate and die in my kitchen, I want the proof that it happened. That is going to be a great documentary about <laughs> this insane Ed Wood wannabe um, who killed himself in his kitchen. Ed Wood wannabe. And so, and the funny, oh my God, the worst part. Oh my God. We did everything right. We did the bald cap. We like, he put, you know, uh, oh, what do you call it? Vaseline over my beard and stuff. Yeah. He didn't get the little hairs on the back of my neck and my eyelashes. And so as he was pulling that, the like cast oh. off, like you could every little hair on the back of my oh. neck was being pulled out. And then as it got to my eyelashes, the eyelashes just like, Oh, dude. So I still have that, that rubber cast uh, or the, the like actual piece that then he used to make the other cast that then he did clay over. I have that. And it still has my eyelashes in it. <laughs> Man, dude, that's a uh, horror movie in and of itself. It was it was awesome though. We were so happy with the way that stuff came out, and it was fun. Yeah. I love hammy performances. Like I'm a huge fan. Not all the time, obviously, but like when someone goes for it, like a Nick Cage goes big, and you're just like, oh my god, yes, hamming it up. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoy that, especially when it's grounded through a lot of the movie and not obnoxious. But then there's that one moment that goes like real big, and so it was nice because Daniel and I got to go real big at the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. And I was really, I really happy with the way it turned out, but being able to like feel what it's like to go all in and just be like, you and I, we are like, I just so ridiculous, but so fun. Yeah, man. I think Daniel's you. Just, Daniel's just like, I've always, I always wanted to see Daniel like go not, this is, it's a spoiler kind of, but not really, but Daniel's just like blank stare no use crying over spilled milk like it's just so <laughs> strange and i love it yeah it's a good one yeah 
Well, um, you accomplished a pretty, pretty, I don't even know what to call it. A really interesting, fun, funny, holy shit film. Um, I appreciate you saying it. I'm, I'm hoping that people give it a shot and that it's not, I know that the first, you know, chunk of it is very low budget indie oddball comedy. And I, it, it, modern movies don't really do that. And I didn't set out to make a modern movie. Yeah. So I think it's okay. And I hope that people are kind of okay with it, but like, I'm okay with people being a little bit bored. Like we can be a little bit bored. That's okay. We don't, <laughs> movies don't have to move a million miles a minute. Um, my, but my fear being that, you know, like people will be bored and turn it off and th- that I hope people give it the time and can stand or if they do it's find like 83 minutes, go for well, it. That's what I mean. But you know how people are and, yeah, I know, you, I know. and give it the time to, to get to that, uh, get to that point where you will understand what's happening and where it's going. Cause I think a lot of people who, especially horror fans, like I think horror yeah. fans might watch it and be like, oh, okay, there's another schlocky B movie. I get it. You're being referential. And then won't give it the time to get to the stuff that I know they'll dig if they do. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you early on, but I think this is way past the point. And just to kind of compare it, like um, Greywood's plot, uh, it felt very David Lynch at times. And I wanted to like ask you who your kind of filmmaking heroes were early on, but I think we just kept going and going and going. No, um, but like, is Lynch kind of in your bag? I think you mentioned him earlier in the interview. I did. And I'm so Lynch is funny because, you know, I, I really grew up on um, stuff like, I mean, Tim Burton was like, of my course, yeah. God, like as a kid, Tim Burton. And I think there's a lot of that in both of these movies. I, I think that the more I watch, the good exorcist i actually just saw it this year again at a film festival they did like a screen uh screening of some of the old stuff from filmmakers who had screened stuff stuff that they had done before that never screened at the festival they did like a fun little offshoot oh, cool. good exorcist genre blast film festival a great festival oh yeah I've heard um so they played the good exorcist so i watched it again for the first time in a while and i watched it and i was like oh man i was making kind of like a peewee's big adventure exorcist. <laughs> i didn't even realize i had done it i didn't realize how much father gill comes off like a peewee type um yeah i could see but, it now yeah um i always thought it was more like i always thought of him more as like a napoleon dynamite but he isn't really like mean at all he's more like kind-hearted and childlike like peewee there's something very like innocent about him oh and the super eight in the good exorcist i forgot all about there's that scene where he's um talking to mr willows uh, uh, and watching the christmas footage that's actually my dad's footage from when he was a kid wow and, um i was in a this it's so funny because uh, Richard Linklater is another big hero of mine. Yeah. And he has on the slackers audio commentary. He has a part where he talks about the fact that he was, he plays super eight at the beginning of slacker and that's footage his dad had t- taken. And at one of the screenings, his dad was there and stood up and was like, Hey, I shot that footage. And my dad did the exact same thing during the screening of the good wow. exorcist. My dad was like, I heard him like he was sitting a few rows in front of me and he was like, Hey, that's my footage. <laughs> like he's like, that's me on screen. That's me right there. And David. And uh, so that, yeah, that's my dad and his brothers. But um, David Lynch is one that is funny because I never, ever talked about him being an inspiration of mine. And then Daniel brought it up one time. Daniel's just like, dude, you, 
you always talk about like Tim Burton and you talk about, you know, all of the other heroes. Kevin Smith obviously was a huge inspiration on this one. And, um, but Daniel's like, dude, you're more influenced by David Lynch than anyone. I see it. And I'm like, really? He's like, do you not remember in high school how you would go sneak David? We weren't allowed to watch rated R movies at my high school. (laughs) And so I would go to the library and get rated R movies from the library because they would let you take them. If it was at the library, they'd let anyone take anything, not card like they didn't care. And so I was like 14, 15 getting David Lynch movies from the library. And then in the dorm, they'd just be like, oh, it's from the library. It's fine. No big deal. And so I remember watching Blue Velvet, which I just watched again last week. And man, that movie holds up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, it does. Oh, my God. It's so messed up. I just, oh, it's so dark. But um, the uh, I remember watching Blue Velvet and I just put it on and I knew it was R and I knew it was going to be messed up, but I didn't really know what I was in for. And I locked my door, put it on. And then all of a sudden I heard like the handle jiggle and a knock and like, Hey, who's in there? And I opened the door like really quick and it was my dorm supervisor. And it was like right at the beginning of the movie as there's like the picket fence and the flower and the the fire truck and everything. And he's like, what are you watching? I'm like, Oh, I'm watching some art house movie I got from the library that was recommended on some film in some film book. And the dorm supervisor was like, Oh, okay. I was like, sorry, I didn't even realize I locked the door or whatever. And then he left. And then instantly there is like, the dude has a heart attack on the, or whatever. I don't, I don't know if they actually say exactly what happened stroke in the yard or whatever. And then it cuts to like an ear sitting on the ground. And then the movie devolves into the madness that it is. But yeah, yeah, David Lynch was a huge influence to me and still is. And, and the more like once Daniel said that I'm like, Oh yeah, I need to like, I need to be obvious or like, I need to embrace that a little bit because that is, he definitely is a massive influence to me, whether I realize it or not. And then this last year I went down a rabbit hole of like watching every David Lynch interview ever, every David Lynch short feature, everything. And now I'm like obsessed. Um, But it's funny because as much as Grey Woods was, is obviously influenced by it. And as much as I love David Lynch, I never really realized it until like, a year ago that I'm a huge David Lynch fan. <laughs> it's yeah. He creeps up on you. Um, I, I never, I never got him. Like I was, and I, I'm a huge fan of his now. I feel like he is like maybe the quintessential cult filmmaker, even though I don't really think of his films as cult films. Yeah. I, I don't know, but like, like I saw, I don't even know. I think I just like started watching twin peaks and I was like, I don't get it. And then like a couple of years later, I was like, I'll give Twin Peaks another try. And I was like, eh, it's okay. I didn't finish it. But then like I have Twin Peaks, like even my mother was like, Twin Peaks is really good. And like my mom's saying Twin Peaks is the shit. Like, and she gets it. And I don't. I give it a third try. And I was so fucking hooked on Twin Peaks. Yeah. And I remember watching, um, I did this as kind of a joke, but <laughs> when uh, I found out my wife was pregnant, I would, uh, I popped a racer head on and I'm sitting there and it gets like some like really fucked up parts. She's like, what are you watching? And I was like, oh, this is David Lynch's uh, film where he's fleshing out his fears of becoming a father. I thought it was good for, you know, me right now. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but Greywood's plot, like th- the flow of it, I definitely was just sitting there going like, this feels like a David Lynch movie where like it just kind of starts 
and you don't, you know, I don't know. I didn't know. Like, A, I was going in blind also, but I was just kind of like, I don't know where this could go. It, like how you said, like it could just become this movie of two guys going out in the woods and they get attacked by a monster and he put it in black and white just to make an art house. And then, and then it, it, it did what it did. So like, again, congratulations on this. Um, to wrap things up here, obviously as we are recording this it is about to drop on demand by the time yep. this episode drops uh it will be available in multiple places where would those multiple places be uh it's digital screening so we're, we're hoping i mean i don't know exactly exactly but like voodoo itunes amazon um available to rent and buy on all of those i am thinking it's going to be on tubi so you could watch it for free on Tubi with ads. Um, I don't, don't, don't quote me on that one for sure. I think it might be having, I think it might have like a Roku and a couple of other random places, but um, I'm a voodoo man. Um, I love voodoo and I'm like this, never this, checked out voodoo ever. Oh, <laughs> uh, not to, I don't know. I don't think this would get us in trouble, but Daniel and I share a voodoo account. So we just buy movies and build our account together. I mean, it's two people on one account. It's not like we're, sell giving these away we're not pirating them we're paying for them um but yeah daniel and i have like 600 maybe a thousand movies racked up on voodoo and so it's that's just like my go-to place for purchasing movies um but yeah it's uh it'll be available out there and um what else and the good exorcist is available on tubi yes trauma now blu-ray is available through trauma and I'm hoping to have a Blu-ray of Greywood's out, Greywood's plot out. But I've been contacting um, people who put out physical media, like companies that put out like Terror Vision and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm hoping to like uh, collaborate with someone on it because I'm just—it's so much work doing it yourself. And I—I yeah. I want to get back into making some movies. So I'm in the process yeah. of like, during the during the uh, pandemic, I filmed a movie in my basement by myself called Scumbag. And sort of went on the shelf for a while and I sort of slowly have been picking away at it, but I just started doing the score for it this week and I'm now I'm like re obsessed with it. So I think that'll be out by the end of the year. Hopefully. Nice. Nice. Um, and if anybody wanted to track you down on the internet, I'm where everywhere. can we find you? Yeah, I'm everywhere. I'm on, uh, at Josh Stifter on Twitter. Um, I'm on facebook um we have flush studios flush studios is my company yes um so check out flush studios on facebook um flush studios on instagram at flush studios on instagram and i have a patreon patreon.com slash flush studios that i post behind the scenes you can get pretty much everything i've ever made there and you like i do page by page of the comics i do all sorts of stuff. The Patreon is just, it's a mess of stuff as any blog becomes after years of doing it. But uh, it's a lot of fun. And if you want to keep up to date on what's happening, you know, subscribing to the Patreon is always the best way to know what Flush Studios is working on. Hell yeah, man. Uh, well, Josh, thank you for coming by. This is yeah, a great man. episode. This was awesome. I really appreciate you having on. And thanks for watching the movie. Thanks for finishing it. I'm going to go back and watch it again, man. It was just one of those. Uh, everybody go check out Greywood's plot wherever he just told you to find it. And we will see you next week on The Basement. Hey.